I think you'll agree with me that uh, comebacks are very compelling. You can think about your favorite movie. There's a very good chance that at the heart of that film, there is a comeback story from The Incredibles to Princess Bride, right? The heroine or the hero winds up in some trouble, sometimes very, very deep trouble. They have a moment of awakening where they decide to do something about the trouble that they find themselves in. And then through a series of often unfortunate events, they work their way back to victory. Comeback stories are the most compelling kind of stories. If you're a sports fan, I'm sure you can think of a great comeback moment when a team that you were rooting for was down in the fourth quarter or the third period, they fought their way back. Perhaps you can think of some comebacks that went the other way when you thought your team was about to win and the other team roared back to victory, leaving you in the agony of defeat. We all love a comeback story, and I'm wondering if this week it might be time for your comeback story. I was thinking as I wrote this that we find ourselves now in a season in the world where um, an affinity for or a passion for a comeback might never in our lifetime have been more universally applicable. Almost everybody you know is in some degree of trouble. Almost everybody even in this room has dealt with some degree of distress over the past 17 weeks. It was even distressing for me to write Sunday, July 5th, 2020 at Grace Online, week 17. 17 weeks we've been doing this. And I just got to say one more time, thank you for being here with us tonight as we record this. Thank you for watching at home. But we do have people in the room. You will see them in some of the shots. And uh, we spent many a lonely night through the tail end of winter uh, alone up at Grace North, um, four of us, five of us at a time recording these services for you. So it's with great joy that we begin the comeback tonight. It's my prayer that Today might mark the beginning of the first step in the right direction. Maybe it's time for your comeback. If that is you, if you can identify, if you're saying even as you sit there watching, that's me, preacher. I have for you today seven ways to act if you want to live like the comeback kid. So that's what's in store for you tonight. Seven ways to act if you want to live like the comeback kid. And look, even if you're wearing a mask, you can shout at me tonight. I've missed you tremendously. So uh, if you feel like expressing yourselves, please do so. Please encourage your preacher. Um, every preacher always preaches better when he has some people with him, when she has some people with her. So uh, do not be shy tonight. Seven ways to act if you want to live like the comeback kid taken out of Psalm 53. Here it is. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There's none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation would come for Israel out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. If you want to uh, live like the comeback kid, point number one, taken from verse one, don't be a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You ever wonder what a fool is? The Bible has some strong words for fools. It in fact tells us in one context not to call each other fool. And you're thinking, Todd, you call me fool all the time. Well, how's it going, fool? Is often one of my uh, favorite opening lines in my texts or my emails. I'm not talking a biblical kind of fool. 
So let's set the record straight here. What is a fool in biblical language? A fool is someone who stubbornly refuses to listen. Stubborn is the key teachable point here. A fool is stubborn. A fool here in Psalm 53 is someone who refuses to listen to wisdom. A fool here is somebody who stubbornly insists that God doesn't notice. Ever met somebody like this? You can tell by their conduct, by their lifestyle, by how they do what they do and what they do that they are insisting stubbornly that God doesn't notice. It's important for us to note here that foolishness is not primarily about belief or unbelief. It's not about belief or unbelief. Foolishness is about action. You've heard me say it perhaps before. Action is character. You are what you repeatedly do. And that's not original with me. That comes from my uh, screenwriting teacher, Sid Field. Action is character. You are what you repeatedly do. Foolishness is not about whether you believe or don't believe. So just because you meet somebody, by the way, who says, I don't believe in God, doesn't mean you have the right to write them off as foolish or lacking understanding. I'm thinking of uh, Forrest Gump. Foolish is as foolish does. I know he says, stupid is as stupid does. But in our case, it works tonight. Foolish is as foolish does. It's about action. Because when you think that God doesn't notice, you uh, tend to do whatever you want. Amen? Maybe you've dealt with this in your life. You know somebody who has acted this way. You can tell by what they do that they believe that God is asleep at the wheel. Only if God doesn't notice would you be free to do whatever you want. So if you're looking to make a comeback, don't be a fool. Put simply, live as one under authority. Every time I talk about authority in the biblical sense, I love to say that I know that's a dirty word. I know that your friends don't like that word. I know that deep in our own hearts, we hate that word. We don't like somebody telling us that to live a comeback kind of life, we need to submit to God's authority. But is the simple biblical truth. It's one of those clear truths that if you really want to be free, you need to be God's slave. If you want to come back, You need to live under authority. And point number two, make sure you don't become God's enemy. Still in verse one, the second part of verse one, verse 1b. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. You've heard the phrase from the New Testament, there are none righteous, no, not one. That's taken from Psalm 53. He took Psalm 53 and adapted it for his purposes. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Abominable here is the key word. Abominable means God's enemies. Okay, so if you commit an abomination, you are acting like one of God's enemies. What is abomination? Abomination is enmity with God. So the psalmist here is saying that those who are corrupt are not just abominable, they are God's enemies. If you're looking to make a comeback, I want to invite you to ask yourself two questions. Okay, so I hope you remember these two questions. They are right at the heart of what it means to belong to Jesus, to be one of God's people. First, do you really believe that God exists? I know it's a simple question. I know the answer may seem rudimentary, but um, if you examine the way in which you live moment by moment, I dare say in any given day, there are several moments when you are living as if you have forgotten that God does exist. In a really bad circumstance, you are acting in such a way that perhaps you never believed truly that God actually existed. Are you saying amen quietly in your own heart at home? I know that for me this week, there were moments when I acted as if I did not truly believe that God exists. So that is question number one. 
Okay, if you're looking for comeback, do I really believe that God exists? Question number two, am I acting like his friend or his enemy? So if God exists, am I acting in such a way that I am his enemy or his friend? Once you figure that out, you can move on to step number three. Remember that God sees, so ask him for what he knows you need. This is taken from uh, verse two. Here it is. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. God is looking to see, simply put, if anyone remembers him. You may recall a couple weeks ago, I told you that the sum total teaching of the Old Testament, as I see it and I understand it, is simply this. God saying to his people, remember me. So here in verse 2, the psalmist is saying that God is literally looking down from heaven to see if there is anyone who remembers him. God knows what you need. God knows that what you need is to remember him. Sometimes people get this twisted. They think that God wants us to remember him because somehow God is the ultimate narcissist. Somehow God is the ultimate needy person. That he needs us to remember him, to fill some existential gap in his own personality. Not so. Okay, God is God all by himself. You've heard me say it before. He don't need nobody else. Right? He's perfect. He's good. He's got this. He does not need you to remember him because he needs to be remembered. Don't miss this point. He wants you to remember him because he knows that's what you need. You and I need to remember God. He is the harbor of our soul's longing. He is the reason for your existence. I say it every time I get the chance. This is why so many of the people you and I know and love are so miserable so much of the time because they spend their lives distanced from the God who made them to be his friends forever. What a horrible existence that would be. This ought to give you more grace for the people that you encounter in the wide world. When they're acting like sons and daughters of hell, the reason they're acting that way is because they are. And that would be a horrible thing to know. To know that you are separated from the God that you don't even admit exists, but deep in your heart, you know in your bones is real. And you know in the very fabric of your DNA that you were made to be his friend forever. And yet you know that because of your sinfulness, you cannot approach him for he is holy. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. That God himself would deal with our sin problem once and for all in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son who as he hangs on Calvary's tree, as he hangs on that cross between two thieves to die, he pays the penalty for your sin and mine. He deals with our existential angst once and for all. He makes a way where previously there was no way. He restores all those who come to faith in him in that moment to relationship with God his Father. And he makes friendship possible for you again. Somebody say hallelujah. He makes it possible for you to be his friend again. It makes it possible for you to run into his embrace, to sense his spirit moving in your heart in the context of corporate worship, to no longer feel like an outsider, but to know in your bones that you belong, that you who are not a people are now part of the people of God because of what Jesus has done for you. Friend, I'm here to tell you that if you find your way home to Jesus, you will find the life you always wanted. I'm always careful to say that I am not a prosperity preacher, but there is some prosperity in the preaching of God's gospel. 
When you find your way home to Jesus, you will find the life you've always wanted. And remember in that moment, point number four, that you gotta work to be evil. You gotta put in work to be evil. This is something that um, we don't focus on enough. Listen to uh, verse four. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? Here in the Hebrew, let me read it to you in the Hebrew, okay? Um, those who do, those who work evil, have those who work evil no knowledge. Here it is in the Hebrew. Halo yidu po ale aven. Halo, do they not yidu no po ale, the workers of aven, evil. Po ale is the key word here, workers. In Israel, the workers' bank is called Bank Hapo'alim. Bank, bank, Hapo'alim. The bank of the workers. So the word Po'alim means like your average, everyday working person. The kind of person who puts in work, who puts in hours to achieve that thing that they are working for. It means real work. It means woman's work. It means man's work. It means back-breaking work. So I'm here to tell you today that just like you can't get good at push-ups without doing lots of push-ups, just like you can't roof a house without hucking a lot of bags of shingles, just like you can't build a business without a lot of courage, a lot of vision, a lot of risk, and a lot of long hours, nobody becomes evil overnight. You gotta put in work to be evil. So I'm trying to set you free here from unreasonable expectations. If you ever find yourself thinking, I'm a bad person, why, because you did a bad thing? Remind yourself in that moment, it takes work to be evil. Okay, next time the accuser of the brethren comes your way and dares accuse you of being evil, remind that devil that it takes work to be evil. You have to work at it. So if you are looking for a comeback, I love this point. Wake up your inner union and make it force you to start taking regular breaks from being evil. Yeah, you're supposed to laugh there. Okay, wake up the inner union and have it mandate some regular work stoppages. Put another way. Receive it. Take a vacation from being evil. Your soul will thank you. Okay, if it takes work to be evil, you can go on strike. Somebody holler at your boy. Okay, go on strike from being, amen, aren't you glad you came to church? Go on strike, take a vacation from being evil. And point number five, um, stop letting fear consume you. This is uh, point five out of verse five. That symmetry is biblical, it's not me. There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters, oh, this is gonna get good, I wrote this for my wife. For God scatters the bones of him who encamp against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Can you see me starting to sweat? For sure they see me on the 4K camera. I'm gonna have to get me a, like one of those handkerchiefs from uh, Alabama to fix my sweaty, sweaty face. There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. Somebody say touche. Somebody say touche. Touche, there they are in terror where there is no terror. Why do I say touche? Why did I make you say touche? Um, because of this. Exactly how many times have your worst fears come true? I should do the eyebrow. Right? I mean, once for us. 
when my sweet brother-in-law Robbie died. But other than that, my worst fears have never come true. Okay, so how many times have your worst fears actually come true? So now the follow-up point. In light of that, how much of your life have you wasted worrying over stuff that never happens? Somebody say touche! Touche, preacher! I wrote that for you, honey. I wrote that for me. I wrote that for you. There they are in, receive it, there they are in terror, where there is no terror. I got a rap song going on in my head. Destruction, terror, and mayhem. Anyway, it's maybe before your time. There they are in terror when there is no terror. Why? For God's, receive it. For God's, aren't you glad to be here in live preaching? Oh, it's nice to have you here. For God scatters the bones of those who encamp against you. Think about this. Think about your life under siege. Think about your life in this pandemic. Think about your good God, who not only slays the enemy, but after he has done so, stoops in the midst of the field of battle, grabs their bones, and scatters them. This is the indignity to which God will subject the evil that has assailed you, my friend. Somebody say amen. Okay, he's not just going to receive it. He's not just going to triumph over your enemies, but he will scatter their bones. Friends, the God of heaven's armies has called you his own. Whom then shall you fear? Somebody say nobody. 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 Yes, life is difficult. I know it. You know it. Yes, you will suffer. I know it. You know it. Yes, setbacks and stress are real. But if you belong to Jesus, you are on the winning team. So stop letting fear consume you. That's a word for you today. Believe it. You're on the winning team. So stop letting fear consume you. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to waste the fearlessness that is yours by rights in Christ, by worrying about things that almost never happen, by fretting about things that you cannot control. That would be a terrible way to waste a life. Ha! <laughs> Did you remember what I said last week? Did somebody tell the devil this week when he came to steal your joy, when he came to steal your confidence? Did somebody say to him, I live in God's house, devil? Okay, same thing this week. Okay, the first time you feel oppressed this week, huh? You look that oppression straight in the eye and you tell it, whom shall I fear? Because my God is the bone scatterer. Oh, somebody shout! Your God is the bone scatterer. So you watch as evil turns its back and flees. Why? Point number six. I love this point. Because Jesus is on the way. Hallelujah. Okay, that's a word... That's a word for you today. Jesus is on the way. It's a, not a question of if, it's a question of when. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Verse 6, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let me uh, read this for you in the Hebrew. Get ready for a little cameo from Jesus. All right? 
Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Me, yiten, mitzion, yeshuot. Yeshuot is the key word. Me, yiten, mitzion, yeshuot. Who will give from Zion Jesusing? I mean, somebody say hallelujah. Me, who, yiten, will give mitzion from Zion Yeshuot, Jesus sings, or Jesus is. Yeshuot from the root Yeshua, which is the name of our blessed Redeemer, Jesus. Who will give us from Zion Jesus sing? What you need is Jesus, and he's on the way. Okay? He's on the way. Way, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to each one according to what they have done. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And if you're thinking, he's been taking his sweet time. It's been uh, a couple of thousand years already. Um, let me remind you that um, for God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So he's operating on a slightly different timetable than us. So don't let your punctuality stress him out. Okay, just because you think he's not on time doesn't mean he's not on time. I'm pretty sure that when he blows that trumpet one day and comes back to make all things new, you're going to be pretty good with it. Okay, he is, receive it, coming quickly, band. You can join me on stage because we're about to worship Jesus again. If you're looking to make a comeback, hear me now, church. Don't miss this. Live today like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. You're welcome. Welcome back to church. Aren't you glad you came? Live today like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Let me just tell you one thing. This heightened sense of imminence, okay, that's what this is, the doctrine of imminence, believing that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, this urgency is the number one thing that drove the crazy growth of the New Testament church. They literally believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And that is why they sold everything they had and gave to the poor. That's why they had everything in common so that no one had any lack. That's why they were bold to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why they were bold to proclaim healing in his name. That's why they were bold to tell the devil to take the back door and run away as soon as he came in. Why? Because they knew that their Jesus was on the way. If you start living today like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, your whole life will change. And you will, final point, number seven, get uh, happier because that's your destiny. Please note what your pastor said. Your pastor did not say you will get happy because that's your destiny. You'll get happier. Because look, I know that life is hard. And I know that it's sometimes hard to be happy. But I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and he is making me happier. Can somebody wave at me if the same is true for you? Okay, he's not making things perfect. He's not making things all right all at once. But thanks be to God, he is making us happier. Verse six, part B, when God restores the fortunes of his people. 
Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Beshuv Elohim, shuvot amo, yagal Yaakov, yesameach Yisrael. Yagal, from the word gil, which I love to tell you about, to dance and spin around with joy. Literally here it reads, when God returns the captivity of his nation, Jacob shall spin around and dance with glee and Israel will be made happy. If you find yourself this week not able to make yourself happy, know that that is God's job. He will make you happy. Receive it. Your happiness is in his hands. I'm not saying be happy. I know that can be tough. I am saying don't be a fool. Don't become God's enemy. Remember, God sees. So ask him for what you need, knowing that what you need is him. Take a vacation from doing evil. Stop letting fear consume you because Jesus is on the way, which should uh, help you get happier, aligning you a little more with your destiny, which is to be, quite simply, the comeback kid.